Well, I pray that you all had a, a great time with family this last week. And, and how many of you, uh, as soon as the dishes were done, or perhaps even before the dishes were done, turned on a Christmas movie or started decorating a tree? How many of you are like, I didn't even have that self-control. I did it before we even made the meal. <laughs> no, I, I am, uh, I'm so excited for, for this Advent season, this time uh, as we look forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior. Uh, I love singing these songs. Um, and the youth students can attest to that fact because Come Thou Long Expected Jesus is a song that we've been singing in youth group now for the past month and a half. Um, because I wanted them to be ready for the first time that we sang it together as a congregation this year. So they should have been singing loud. Um, but this morning, the, the text that we are going to be considering is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. As I have this opportunity to uh, continue working through 2 Timothy with you. And I realized as I came to this passage that I preached this very passage a little bit over four years ago, and it was the first sermon I ever preached at Ambassador uh, after my wife and I began attending here. And so to some of you, this may sound familiar. To some of you, it may not. But I pray for all of us that this will be beneficial as we open the word of God and, and understand this passage that is so applicable considering this theme that we've talked about this morning of faithfully sharing the word of God. So this morning as we begin, uh, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy and where, as I mentioned, we will consider chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Now about uh, 11 years ago now, it was 2012 and I was a senior in high school. So I'll let you do the math. Uh, but I remember my senior year in Woodenville, Washington, really small town, smaller than Cuna, smaller than Nampa, really, really small town. I remember it was my senior year and I had one last opportunity to play football. Now, football was something that I was very passionate about, but not something I was very good at. Those are very different things. Now, I remember my senior year, I stood my current height, about five foot ten on a good day, and I weighed 225 pounds. So I, I wasn't particularly fast. I wasn't particularly agile. And I, I remember that I, I stood before my coach my senior year, and he just looked at me, and he didn't know what to do with me. He's like, where, what do I do with this guy? Where do I put him? You see, I wasn't fast enough to be a running back or a wide receiver. I wasn't, ironically, I wasn't big enough to be a tight end. I couldn't throw the hardest. I couldn't kick the farthest. And so I remember just as I sat there and my coach looked at me and, and the wheels were turning in his head and it finally came to him. He said, aha, let me stick him the one place where maybe he'll do the least amount of damage. The offensive line. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed my time playing football my senior year. It was a lot of fun for the time that I got to play. I enjoyed getting to know the other gentlemen who I'd been playing with since I was in middle school. Enjoyed spending time with them, but... 
But every single day in practice, at a school that is known for its athletics, where you have great competitors everywhere, I was well reminded what an offensive lineman should look like. Right? It should look like somebody who is six foot four, 275 pounds, not five foot 10, 225 pounds. So you could imagine that when, when Friday night came and those lights turned on, I did not get much playing time in my senior year. And when I did get playing time, it was in what's called garbage time. Many of you will be familiar with that phrase, but, but really it's that time of the game where the coach says, you know what? We are up by so many points right now. It doesn't matter who we put in. We are still going to win this game. So let, let, those, let those boys get some reps. Or, on the other hand, you're down by so much that the game's hopeless. And so you don't really have anything to lose, so you put in the guys like me. But make no mistake, at a school that prided, prided itself in great, great athletics as much as my school did, even when I went in during garbage time, I was still surrounded by some of the greatest athletes the state of Washington had to offer. I remember very clearly to my right, was the strongest teenager in the entire state. Every single weekend, he would go and compete in competitions all over the state. And then to my left was a massive young man who would go on to be selected by the Philadelphia Eagles in the first round of the NFL draft. Needless to say, when I stood there, that awkward five foot ten chubby senior... I felt inadequate. I felt that I did not belong in this place where for some reason the Lord had allowed me to be. I didn't measure up. And I felt perhaps the most inadequate I had ever felt in my life until I started attending and ministering at Ambassador. To be surrounded by such incredibly gifted men. What in the world would the Lord have for me to do here? To be given a charge to care for the children and youth of this campus? That's a tall task. To, to come alongside students and children in some of the most challenging years of their life and help them answer that question, what am I doing and, and what does the Lord have for me in this time of life? How do I honor him? And so often I've wrestled with, Lord, why do you have me here? But friends, God has been so gracious. God has helped me over and over to realize every single day, week, month, and year that, that even though I can't bring about the change that I want to bring about, God can. Now, I can't, can't increase the number of students each year who proclaim Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's not enough time in the day to get every event planned, every camp prepared for. But with God, I can be even more effective for ministry than I would ever desire to be in my wildest dreams. There is a charge that has been placed upon my life by God to maintain the integrity of his word. 
but not only to maintain the integrity, but to pass it on well to the next generation. Now, even though I've often felt absolutely inadequate or, or as if somebody else could do this job better, this is where God's placed me. I realize that and I understand that he has well prepared me and equipped me for the charge he has placed upon me. Now, as I've been preaching through 2 Timothy, so often I have focused on the perspective of Paul. Paul, in the twilight of his ministerial career, what he was experiencing, what was going on there. And today I felt it appropriate as we enter into this next chapter to pause and consider the perspective of young Timothy. Because I stand here today, friends, thinking young Timothy himself would have been no stranger to the feeling of inadequacy. Young Timothy was too young. He was too frail. Some might have said he was too timid. Certainly he couldn't carry out the charge that the Apostle Paul would lay before him to carry on the faith. That is, he couldn't do so without doing so in the full strength of the Holy Spirit. And today, as, as we open up, I want us to constantly be thinking about what may have been going through Timothy's mind as he felt the weight of these charges the Apostle Paul places before him. Let it sink in, and I, I hope that it will help us to feel that weight of every single word that Paul relays to Timothy today. Now, as you remember, we've, we've gone through many of this, or much of this text already, but but just by way of reminder, the, the church was experiencing some major difficulties at this time. As Paul is now here addressing Timothy, Paul is in prison yet again. And he's writing this letter knowing full well that he is, he's awaiting his execution. He knows that that day will soon come. And if you would look just a few verses prior to our text for this morning, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, it gives us a vivid picture of the situation in which the churches of Asia Minor have found themselves. Read with me here. It says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesephorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Now, it seems what Paul is talking about here is perhaps one of the saddest cases of apostasy that we could remember. See, these are people who were once fervent for, for the proclamation of the declaration of the gospel but they've now completely turned away. Now, likely a lot of this apostasy is in light of the persecution that the church was experiencing. And there was a great bit of persecution that was taking place because of Emperor Nero, as well as also results of Paul's second imprisonment. 
This may have had people scattering left and right who were once faithful. And suddenly we, we see here that many who were associated with Paul in the province of Asia, they've just left. They've cut ties and run in the opposite direction, never to be seen or heard from again. Likely they did so, almost undoubtedly, for this desire to preserve themselves. Friends, let's think for a moment. Isn't it shocking how quickly man can forget the great wonders of God? Think about what had just happened in the Asian church not much before this. Acts chapter 19 documents this well for us and tells us of what was happening. If you were to look at Acts chapter 19 and verses 10 through 12, it would say, This took place for two years. Listen closely. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that the clothes or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So not long ago, there's this beautiful time in Paul's ministerial career where in this province of Asia, God is clearly at work. And people are so on fire for the gospel message, so in belief or or really disbelief of what is taking place, that they're even seeking for handkerchiefs that have touched the Apostle Paul to come be brought to those who are sick. They are so blown away by what God is doing. These men and women and children perhaps saw many more signs than any of us will see throughout our lives. Yet still, what do we see in 2 Timothy 1, 15 through 18? Many of them have already turned away. After the entire province has heard, now it seems all have turned away. These people who were so amazed by, by the message and the majesty and the miracles of God are gone. They've completely turned their back. They've deserted him. And, and specifically, we have Phygelus and Hermogenes mentioned. Now, there's not much to say about Phygelus and Hermogenes because this is the sole mention of them in Scripture. How would, how would you like that to be the only time you're ever mentioned in Scripture? Is Paul condemning those who have turned from him and he, he notes you by name? Now, it's possible that they were leaders in the church there, or perhaps they were simply close friends to the Apostle Paul. We don't know for certain. All we do know is that, that their departure especially was a cause of great disappointment for the Apostle Paul. Yet what is so beautiful, friends, and I never want us to lose sight of, is what is mentioned later on, just a few words later in the next verse. There's somebody who has exhibited great faithfulness, and that is Onesephorus. We see that though this province has turned away from the gospel, has abandoned Paul, there was one that was willing to pursue Paul. 
to look all over for him, to seek for him high and low, far and wide until he could come and give him great refreshment and comfort. What a great contrast that is to see the faithlessness of so many and the faithfulness of one. How beautiful a thing that must have been, how refreshing to the Apostle Paul. And it's now here as we as we just have a reminder so we can get a running start at our passage for this morning that we're that we're thrust into the beginning of chapter two, where where we're going to see Paul is going to present in verses one and two the main point of his message. But before we get there, let's let's read our entire text for this morning and then slowly work through it together. Second, Timothy, chapter two, verses one through seven. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, as we, as we turn our attention to our passage for this morning, as we move into this passage, think about the way in which young Timothy would have received these very words and the way that Paul relays this message. Now, those of you who aren't too far removed from your schooling days or those who have a great memory could kind of look at this and say, hey, this looks kind of like almost an academic essay would where a main point is presented and then a three-point argument comes right afterwards to convince of that main point. That's what we're going to see Paul does right here. He begins after giving us his main point in verses one and two by expanding upon it and drawing out timeless truths that each of us can and certainly should take to heart. So in the first two verses of chapter two, we see the main idea which comes in Paul's command to Timothy. Verses 1 and 2 provide us with Paul's command to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, it's here that Paul, with great love, gives a clear exhortation To Timothy, this charge that we also will be presented with today. To be strong in grace and to pass on the faith. To be strengthened by grace and to pass on the faith. So first, we, much like Timothy, are called to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, the rest of the command that will follow is going to provide additional charges that are put forth by Paul for young Timothy. But they're meant to be done as he is strengthened by grace or as a result of him being strengthened by grace. Because true strength can only come to Timothy and also to the genuine believer as we submit to Christ as both Savior and Lord. On his own, Timothy is too weak, too young, too frail. On his own, he certainly is. There's no way that on his own, Timothy can carry out the commands that Paul is going to provide to him. But with God, what we are going to see is that Timothy and the genuine believer can remain faithful. It certainly is possible. So we see that first charge, and now he is also told to pass on the faith to faithfully pass on the gospel message. Now, as we look at this, as we look at this call to faithfully pass on the gospel message, I think it's clear in a time as we've already spoken of how much persecution there were, how daunting of a task this may have seemed to young Timothy. But this gospel This gospel that Timothy has experienced, this gospel that he has heard preached to him by the Apostle Paul himself numerous times, he now, as Paul is waiting for his death, he now is being charged with carrying it on, making sure the next generation hears the true, unadulterated gospel. This is perhaps one of the most crucial points In the Christian faith, the history of the Christian faith. And so it seems now and more so imperative than ever ever before that Timothy passes on this message with integrity. To pass it down from generation to generation amid persecution outside the church and also division inside the church. The truth must never waver, friends, for the sake of becoming culturally relevant or palatable to the natural ear or mind. No, Timothy and every believer is to boldly proclaim the truth and it shall never waver. Hear Paul's concern in the twilight of his life. Pass on the message with integrity. And that's why we see Paul doesn't simply say to Timothy, Timothy, be sure of what you believe. Certainly that's part of it. Yes, Timothy must be sure of what he believes. But the main call here is to then pass it down to others. Don't let it stop with you. Pass it on generation to generation. That's Paul's worry as he's facing death. And then as we... Shift, And we start to see in in verse three, Paul does what he often does, which is he becomes brutally honest with Timothy. And he explains to Timothy, Timothy, if you remain faithful. He doesn't say there's a possibility things might be hard. He says, Timothy, if you remain faithful. 
persecution will follow. This isn't an easy road, but it's the one to which Timothy has been called. And as Paul continues this passage here, what we're going to see this morning is he presents us with three characteristics of the one who faithfully passes on their faith. Three characteristics of the one who faithfully passes on their faith. First, we're going to see that of a suffering soldier. Second, the determined athlete. And third, the hardworking farmer. So first, brothers and sisters, we are to suffer as a soldier. Look with me again at verses three and four. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. First here we see that that Paul is going to incorporate this image of a soldier, which if you spent any time reading the Pauline epistles, this is an image that Paul is very fond of. Though his use of it here in 2 Timothy is quite different than elsewhere in his writings. We see in, in the letters of Philippians and Philemon, Paul is going to use this to mention that Christians are fellow soldiers. Right? We have camaraderie as fellow soldiers fighting this good fight. Or in Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18, We have this soldier imagery seen in the armor of God, which the believer is to equip themselves with. It talks about righteousness, truth, faith, and salvation as that armor that we are to adorn. While also mentioning that the word of God is the very sword of the spirit. But he uses the imagery differently here in 2 Timothy He uses this terminology with with the purpose of relaying the importance of remaining faithful. In fact, one one commentator very helpfully explained three purposes with which the soldier is presented. First, the soldier is called to a stalwart endurance of hardship. The soldier is called to a stalwart endurance of hardship. The understanding here is that in and out of war times, the soldier is called to a life that is characterized by suffering. It is not an easy or enjoyable life. It is hard. Whether it's the long hours of training, maybe it's the months of deployment, or even time spent in the battlefield. The soldier is called to endure every single difficulty that would come before them. We see the Christian, much like the soldier, is guaranteed that hardships will come. The life of a Christian is not for the faint of heart. It is not all health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not a life that's just characterized by those blessings. Rather, the Christian life, much like the life of the soldier, is characterized by difficulty, by hardship, but also of true purpose and actual joy. The Christian, 
must know and be prepared for the hardships that are to come so that they might remain faithful to their call. The second aspect of the soldier here is that the soldier is called to an avoidance of entanglements which might hinder his job. To avoid becoming entangled in anything that would hinder him from accomplishing his job. In other words, the soldier and the Christian, they both need to keep from being entangled so they can stay focused on their goal. That is what they are to do. See, the soldier, they separate themselves for the sake of being sure to accomplish their given mission. And similarly, the Christian is told, do not become entangled in the things of this world, but keep your mind and your heart set on the things that are above where you are to store up your treasures. Right. It's when we do that, that we can stay focused on our goal and the eternal implications it has. The final aspect in the life of the soldier is that they are to desire to please the very one who enlisted them. They desire to please the one who enlisted them. See, just as the soldier is to, to desire to please his enlisting officer, brothers and sisters, that is what our focus must be. We need to desire to please the one who has called us into battle. We need to desire to bring him glory. The Christian is called to faithfully pass on the message of God so that all can hear and believe. We must not lose sight of what our ultimate purpose is. It's not just the passing on of the gospel, but even more so, it is the glory of God. That is the highest purpose and calling that any person could ever have. That is what we need to allow to motivate us to remain faithful to the one true gospel. Just like the soldier, we have to desire to bring glory to the one who has enlisted us, the one who is the initiator and reason for our service. Friends, we can never lose sight of having a desire to glorify him. That is what motivates us. So to simplify, the soldier has a job. And he is called to remain faithful so that he can bring honor to the one who enlisted him. That is the same call in the life of the genuine believer. The soldier has to remain aware that they're in the midst of war. They have to remain ready for battle. They have to be ready to answer any threat that may appear in an instant. They must not allow themselves to be entangled in civilian affairs. They must not be deterred from accomplishing their mission. They're given a mission. They're given an objective. And they are called to carry it out to completion. They need to remain faithful. Now, some of you may remember a story in the news many years ago in, in 2006 Uh, where George W. Bush presented Romaine and Thomas McGinnis with the Medal of Honor. Now, the Medal of Honor was given to these grieving parents 
because of their son's heroic acts of valor in the field of battle. Now, while on patrol, Private McGinnis was in his Humvee with his fellow brethren, and they encountered a grenade. And the grenade was thrown into the gunner's hatch of the Humvee that he and his brothers were riding in. Now, in that moment, when a grenade was dropped in, instead of trying to either get out or get to the farthest corner of the Humvee that he could, he saw those around him and he threw his body on top of the grenade. He lost his life so that those who were in the Humvee with him could survive. He knew his call. It was to accomplish his mission and to protect his fellow brothers around him. And he was willing to be faithful to this call, even to the point of death. This young man didn't join the army because it was the easy thing in life to do. He joined knowing full well that it would be hard. And he joined knowing that he would be called to serve and even suffer. And that he certainly did. Do each one of us here exemplify this kind of faithfulness in our Christian lives? Does our faithfulness to the gospel look anything remotely like the faithfulness of a soldier to the orders they're given? If a soldier is willing to sacrifice their life for something that's temporal, Friends, how much more should we be willing to sacrifice for something that has eternal implications? So first, we see the example of the suffering soldier. Second, we we also are to be determined, determined like an athlete. Verse 5 tells us that an athlete is not crowned unless he competes According to the rules. So similar now to the imagery of a soldier in verses 3 and 4, Paul in verse 5 turns his attention to the example of an athlete. And he, he's speaking of this athlete who has a goal. He has a desire to attain this victor's crown, to be the best of the best and receive a great prize. But to attain this crown, he must abide by a specific set of rules. Now, many of our, our texts will take liberties on, on how this part is interpreted. There's, there's some disagreement here on, on whether the emphasis is you need to abide by rules in your, in your training process or you need to abide by rules while you compete in the games. Either way, the point ends up being very similar This is a depiction, uh, such as it was, that it's meant to give us this image of an athlete who's preparing diligently for the Olympic Games. And if you were training for the Olympic Games, it was both about how you prepared and also how you conducted yourself in the Games. In fact, as an Olympic athlete, you needed to sign an oath stating that you had indeed been training at least 10 months in advance before those games began. 
And then there was also a specific and strict set of rules you needed to abide by once you were in the games. See, we see similar imagery of this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, where Paul is going to use this kind of imagery of an athlete diligently training, but he talks about the fact that the believer diligently trains with an eternal prize in mind, not just that perishing victor's wreath that an athlete might receive. As Paul mentions this, what we're meant to picture here is an athlete who is trained so diligently. Every single second of their day is devoted to training to be the best of the best in this area so that they can attain that crown. He emphasizes great effort, determination, and discipline that would have been needed. And much like the athlete, the Christian is called to prepare in accordance with the rules. By this I mean to hold fast to what is said in the Word of God. Hold fast to God's very Word. Paul shows us here that unless an athlete competes according to the rules, he cannot be victorious. He cannot have success in his field. And certainly we can draw the same conclusion, friends, that if we do not prepare according to those rules, if we stray from the word of God and teach something contrary, we will not be victorious. We will have competed in vain. If we compromise the word of God for cultural relevance, if we compromise the word of God in order to be accepted by a relativistic society, we won't be victorious. We must hold fast. Much like this athlete, if we desire great victory, if we desire to pass on faith in God, to pass on faith in a manner that honors the one who has enlisted us, we abide by that strict set of rules. We follow those guidelines, those guardrails that are put up, and we never deviate for a second. Now, the stories of athletes and competitors taking shortcuts to receive prizes is nothing new to our culture. Right? If you follow college football, there's a great example of that going on right now. But one that, that some of you may know about came to light in 2019. And it was about, uh, it was a sign-stealing scandal that involved Major League Baseball's Houston Astros. Now, the scandal came to light in 2019, but it had everything to do with the 2017 to 2018 Houston Astros. It was alleged and later confirmed that the Astros implemented numerous methods by which to cheat and gain an unfair advantage over those they would compete against. The laundry list of things that they did is shocking to think how hard they worked to take a shortcut. They would have players on, or they would have staff members rather, up watching the, the footage of center field. 
such that they could relay down to the dugout certain things that were about to transpire. It actually got so bad at certain points that the Houston Astros actually had an additional illegal video feed in their dugouts, helping them to find out what signs were going to be given. There were times when they actually had officials from their team up in the replay booth with a smartphone so they could text what they saw to the manager in the dugout who would wear a smartwatch and read the text messages as they came in. Or most notably, you've probably heard somewhat about this, even if you didn't know what it was all about for certain, but, but they would have players bang on trash cans to let the batters know that a certain pitch was coming up. Rather than prepare admirably and compete with honor and dignity, they worked hard to take shortcuts. And it's been suggested and all but confirmed that these tactics are what gave the Houston Astros the unfair advantage they needed to go on and win the World Series that year. Though they did win that temporal prize, every single time that World Series is talked about, it is marred by the stink of this scandal. And there have been many who have called for them to have their title removed. The athlete in pursuit of the crown, they have to remain faithful. Right? Whether, again, whether this focuses on the rules in preparation or the rules in the game, it doesn't matter. The focus is he has to remain faithful. Do we as Christians remain faithful as the athlete is called to remain faithful? Or are we ever willing to compromise? That is a question each of us needs to ask and consider with great seriousness. So second, we need to consider that image of this dedicated athlete. And third and finally this morning, we are to work hard like a farmer. Verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And then on into verse 7 here. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So the third and final image that Paul gives to Timothy and to us is that of a, of a farmer that works hard. Now, this, again, is an image that is meant to exhort Timothy to remain faithful, to work hard and stay focused on the future, to never lose sight of the future. Right? A successful farmer doesn't sit at home, take naps, have a big meal, wake up and go outside and say, aha, my crops have randomly appeared. No, that's not what the farmer does. The farmer in season sows generously. They tend diligently such that when the day comes, they reap bountifully. If the farmer desires the reward that is to come, he has to remain faithful along the way. I'll say that again because that's worth noting. The farmer who desires the reward that is to come he has to remain faithful along the way. 
We see in this passage, Paul utilizes the term to describe the farmer as hard working. Now, this idea of hard working, it literally means that someone is willing to work themselves to the point of exhaustion. They're willing to endure backbreaking work until they can no longer stand. They so desired that their farm would be prosperous. They're willing to work all day and all night if it's required. So that one day they can reap a bountiful harvest. So in utilizing this image, it's, if, it's as if Paul is, is exhorting young Timothy and us, do not become lazy, which we can be so tempted to be. Do not become lazy. Rather, work fervently for the spread of the good news of God's saving grace. And keep the harvest in mind. Sow the seed with an expectation of reaping bountifully later on. And in utilizing this image and exhorting Timothy, he tells him one more time to stay focused on what is ahead. Right? Think about the people that if you faithfully proclaim, just might come to proclaim Christ as their Lord and Savior. Have in mind the way in which these actions will glorify God and bring glory to the one who enlisted you into service. Think about the rewards that await those who are faithful in heaven. Think about those eternal implications as you do that temporal work. Though different today than it was in the New Testament, farming is still an incredibly taxing job. Now, I wouldn't stand up here to proclaim that I'm any sort of expert in farming. The closest I've ever come to farming is when my wife and I had to landscape our backyard. And, and I imagine many of you are probably like me. Many of you are probably like, yes, I've, I've, I've landscaped my yard or I've done some light weeding in a garden bed once or I've watched a video of a video of someone doing that. So I thought it would be helpful to, to think for just a moment, what does it actually look like in this day and age to be a farmer? Listen to the daily log of a family on a very small farm in South Carolina. This is what their day looks like. 6.30 a.m., wake up, make coffee, do laundry, post updates online about market, email potential customers. 7 a.m., feed and water chickens and goats, clean the barn and coop, milk the goats, gather the eggs, tend the greenhouse crops. 8 a.m., when most of us are waking up, breakfast. 9 a.m., plot out growing areas for crops, inventory of seeds, plans for upcoming seed orders. 10 a.m., muck out goat stalls, turn dirt with a tractor. 12 p.m., lunch. 1 p.m., wash the eggs, greenhouse items, package them for sale. 2 p.m., customer pickup of goods. 5 p.m., once again, feed goats and chickens, herd animals inside for colder nights. Just reading through this, how exhausted would you be after one day of fulfilling these tasks? And that's just for a small three-acre family farm. Could you imagine if you were entrusted with a farm of thousands of acres? Overseeing multiple hired hands? That would be exhausting. 
But we clearly see here in the life of the farmer, where in that list did we see any chance for laziness? It's not there. If you desire for your family to survive, if you desire to have a bountiful harvest, if you desire for your livestock to thrive, you have to work intentionally every single day. And I fear we can forget that because some of the things we look forward to have eternal consequences and so many of us can be focused on what is right in front of our faces. Like the farmer, we need to be intentional in the way we proclaim God's word and work for the Lord. We must be. Is this the way you live? Do we approach every single moment of every single day intentionally? Or do we just let the days pass by? Do we just make it to the weekend? Do we seek to bring glory to God's name? And do we keep our minds focused on those eternal rewards? And it's as this portion of Paul's letter comes to a close... We see Paul presents Timothy with that reminder there in verse 7 that I read, where really it seems like he's bringing back or bringing Timothy and us back to the main point that was found in verses 1 and 2, reminding him clearly to refocus on that main point, to be strengthened by grace and to pass on the faith. Timothy needs to rely on Christ to strengthen him, to remain faithful to his calling. He must be willing to suffer as a soldier, be as dedicated as an athlete, and as hardworking as a farmer. Paul knows what has already happened in the life of Timothy and in the life of the church then, and he has an idea of what's to come. He's anticipating that. You can tell that in the way that he writes to young Timothy. He knows that there are going to be difficulties and challenges for Timothy along the way. But that is the life of the one devoted to Christ. That is the life you are called to. And so we must be strengthened by the grace of God and pass on the faith, emulating that faith of the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. Like a soldier, we must be willing to give everything, absolutely everything, so that the gospel message can be passed on with integrity. Like the athlete, we hold to Scripture as truth, as our guiding light, that lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path that keeps us walking on the straight and narrow. So ultimately we glorify God. And like the farmer, we work hard at intentionally passing on the gospel. Most importantly of all, as Paul started in verse 1, we do it all as we are empowered by God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We never attempt to do this on our own. For if we do, we will certainly fail. If we attempt these things in our own strength, we will not have success. But, but with the grace and empowerment of our Lord and of our Savior, 
we will be able to accomplish each of these and so much more. Let's close in prayer.